with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just this past week, we had a funny conversation uh, come up around our dinner table. We have uh, 16 and 13-year-old boys at home who are no longer muted by their 18-year-old sister who is uh, off at college. And so it is not unusual at all that funny topics come up. And the question was, what would Halloween look like at church? In other words, uh, what would be the scariest thing that you could do to parishioners? And 16-year-old Thomas, without blinking, said, stewardship sermon. I told you a couple of weeks ago that uh, no one really seems to want to be on the stewardship committee, which is fine. We're not going to twist arms. We're not going to bang our head against the wall. We're just going to trust that you are going to give and hopefully to pledge without getting a phone call. We're going to send out the brochures uh, next week or so, and and they're beautiful, and we're just going to go from there. So this year, no uh, no hard sell, no guilt trip. But then there's this passage that Deacon Beth just read. I mean, I mean, come on, y'all. Like, give to Caesar what's Caesar and to God what is God's. I mean, that just seems like a, like a slam dunk. Like, they just stuck it in October to help preachers out with stewardship sermons, right? Or maybe with Halloween sermons. But here's the thing. Here's what I would say if I were going to preach on this passage, which I'm not. I'm not going to preach on this passage. But here's what I would say if I were. I would say you should give. You should give to the church because it is more more than likely it is the foundation of how you grow closer to Jesus. And there is absolutely nothing more important in this world than your relationship with Christ. And so you want to see the church flourish and you want to participate in that flourishing. But even more important than that, you have a need to give. We have a need to give. Generosity is the fruit of an outward-facing heart. And isn't that spiritual maturity, right? An an outward-facing heart, moving from an inward love of self uh, to an outward-facing love for God and love for our neighbor. That's what I would say if I was going to preach on this passage, but I'm not. And the reason that I'm not, because I'm comfortable that uh, we're not having a stewardship, uh, much of a stewardship campaign this year, because I know that a vibrant and flourishing church is going to give. It's going to be generous. And you are a vibrant and flourishing church, and you are generous. And so what I want to do instead is to focus on the gospel, uh, instead of focusing on the gospel, is to focus on the passage from 1 Thessalonians. Uh, and so you can turn in your bulletin if you'd like. St. Paul is writing to the Christians in Thessalonica. It's a very important city. It's right at the tip of the Aegean Sea, which is the sea between Greece and Turkey. They're right at the top, so it's a port city, but it's also right on the road between Rome and the uh, Middle East. And so it's just a, um, it, it was a very important economic city. And Paul had preached in the synagogue there, uh, and in just a few weeks, there was such a dramatic response to his message that a riot broke out and he had to skip town. 
heard a rector say one time, uh, Paul's preaching produced riots. My preaching uh, produces coffee hour and tea cakes. What is, what am I doing wrong? But now Paul is just a few months after that riot. This is actually one of the most, uh, one of the earliest writings of the New Testament. And Paul has just heard from Timothy uh, how well the Christians in Thessalonica are doing. Their faith is flourishing. They've got some questions, questions about their faith. And so Paul wants to answer those, so he writes them this letter. But before he answers the questions, he greets them. He greets them warmly. But what he gives, which uh, Lisa just read, it's not a customary greeting. Uh, He essentially tells them their own story. Uh, He not only assures them of his prayers for them, but he gives them the details of those prayers. And and what we we get in Paul's description might be called a portrait of a vibrant church. Uh, He says, we recall in the presence of God our Father, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're not going to change our mission statement or anything like that, but if the people in our community think of Church of Our Savior in terms of work produced by faith, labor motivated by love, and endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, I think we'd be doing pretty well. All right, It would speak to the sort of uh, spiritual flourish, flourishing and Christian vibrancy that we long for. So I want it for us to take a look at each of these aspects. So first, work produced by faith, which is to say faith produces work. Now, just a little later in this passage, towards the end of the uh, where it's listed in your bulletin, Paul recounts to them their conversion, their coming to faith. He says, they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son uh, from heaven. In other words, they had been, before they met Paul, they had been, as a part of their own culture, committed in so many ways to the dead and false gods. Gods uh, that promised prosperity or fertility or victory and so many other things, and yet which demanded toil and sweat and sacrifice and rarely did life go in such a way that it looked like they these gods had delivered on their promises and they considered their political leaders to be gods and they put all their hope in political action i wonder if any of this is sounding familiar because our own culture peddles these same false gods just in different dresses But by the grace of the Holy Spirit, they, like you, had turned away from these false gods and turned to the one true and living God. They heard Paul's preaching. They received God's forgiveness. They believed in the resurrection of Jesus, and they experienced their own sort of spiritual resurrection along with him. So no longer were they toiling for the scraps of earthly pleasure from the tables of these false gods. They were filled with love and joy 
hope and faith and being wholly loved and redeemed by the one true God. Their new faith in Jesus was not like a quaint cultural nicety. It literally changed their lives. And this is what Paul means when he recounts that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, did not just come to them in word only, but in power, in the Holy Spirit. It changed their lives. Their new gospel faith changed their outlook on life, their purpose in living, their relationships with others, their expectation of death, their understanding of love, and they could not keep it for themselves, right? Paul says in Macedonia and Achaia and in every place, your faith in God has gone out. They couldn't keep it to themselves. Their faith produced good work. Out of their saving faith bubbled up this posture of activity. It was a willingness, even a desire, to actively express their faith by blessing Their faith was not to be hidden, it was not to be kept privately, it was not to be used to pad their comfort zones. Their faith was expressed in such a way that others could receive uh, the very faith, hope, and love that they had received. Their eyes were lifted from the love of self to the love of God and others, which is spiritual maturity. Their faith produced work. Their faith produced action. And I think, when, when I think of our church, Church of Our Savior, I think of all the, the good work that faith produces from people who are serving on the altar days, in the flower beds, to the choir, uh, to the people who are serving as shepherds who care for their fellow parishioners, or people feeding the hungry and helping struggling kids learn how to read, and so many other ways. My job least as I see it, my job is to encourage your faith and then turn you loose, right? To proclaim to you again and again and again from every angle that I can possibly come up with the good news of God in Christ, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, and then rejoice with you in the beautiful manifestation of that faith, work produced so Paul, that's the first one. And Paul then uh, highlights the second one, labor motivated by love. Now, at first I thought Paul was being redundant. I mean, what's the difference really between work and labor? But where work really signifies this posture, this willingness to activity, the word that is translated labor really means intense and troubled effort. In other words, it's not just a willingness to work, but an, the actual practice of giving everything you got. And that might not sound like good news. But what's fascinating is that this intense effort is not motivated by a sense of duty or by guilt or by ambition. This labor is motivated by love. And this isn't romantic love or brotherly love or gooey sentiment, this is agape. This is sacrificial love. This is covenantal love that sticks around in the going gets tough. This is a love that pours out. This is 
Christ on the cross saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so an expanded translation of labor motivated by love might say, you are giving everything you've got because you're motivated by Jesus Christ and his giving everything he got, he has for you. The love of God for you always comes first. Always comes first. What Jesus has done for you always comes first. The agape of Christ motivates our agape for the world around us. And so we're not talking about like burnout, right? We're talking about a life that receives and then reflects the sacrificial love of Jesus. In fact, a life that is so overcome by the love of Jesus on the cross that the most natural thing in the world is to share that love Uh, whenever the opportunity presents itself. But that it is not toil, it may be intense, but it's joy. It's a labor of love. And so we might think of luminaries like Mother Teresa of Calcutta, or uh, Martin Luther King Jr., or Archbishop Desmond Tutu, when we're thinking of intense sacrificial effort motivated by love and suffused with joy, but if that just seems so far off, maybe we could just think of my friend Mike. Mike's an engineer. He works hard at his job, and he actually has a side hustle that's starting to take off, and so nobody would blame Mike if he stole every free minute for himself to recharge his own batteries. But Mike has been won over by the gospel of God's grace. He turned from his idols, right, so to speak. So Mike just gives all those minutes away. And he is constantly looking for younger men to mentor, to help, influence, hopefully for business, hopefully for Jesus. And he's always the first to volunteer. He's always interested in you and what you're doing and what's going on in your life. He's kind, he's generous, he's encouraging, he's sacrificial. He's thankful. And he is a great picture to me of sacrificial effort motivated by sacrificial love. And I'd be willing to bet that Mike doesn't consider it, uh, this labor, a great sacrifice. But it's joy. Because he doesn't serve from an empty tank. He gets filled up in receiving Jesus' love for him on a daily basis. And then he reflects that love to those around him. Or if you know somebody like that, you might be somebody like that. So focus not on the intense labor, but on the daily, uh, daily focus on the intensity of God's love for you. God's grace for you. God's sacrifice for you. Be filled with that love. And then just ask God to help you notice when opportunities come along. I mean, if you've got a whole con- congregation that's doing that, you know what you got? You've got a vibrant church. A vibrant church. A work produced by faith, labor motivated by love, and endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. About 12 Actually, 11 years ago, uh, I ran a marathon. One and done marathon. And let me tell you, I was fit, and it was, they were 22 of the best miles of my life. And four of the worst 
know, they thought I hit the wall. I hit the wall. I didn't, I could, I hardly knew my name. I was disoriented. I didn't know where I was. Uh, I started doing uh, math in, as I was running in order to convince myself that I was not going crazy, which in retrospect, the fact that I was doing math is evidence that I was going crazy. I was exhausted. But then as, I mean, I just, I, I could hardly make my legs go, but then I heard the crowd in the stadium where the, the uh, marathon finished, and I could sense the, the finish line, and I could hear the, the cheers of people were crossing the finish line. And you know, we can, we can keep going when we know the finish, where the finish line is. And hearing those, hearing those um, cheers just reoriented everything for me. And my energy picked back up. And I was able to finish once. When we know that there's a purpose in our work, when we know that there's an end on the horizon, when we know that our lives are in the hand of an almighty redeemer, when we know that this life is not all there is, y'all, we can keep going. We can get through the difficulty. We can hold it all lightly. I've been wondering lately if uh, so much of the division and the consternation and the angst in our culture, not just in our wider world, but in our, in our culture, is, is the fact that we've lost the hope of Jesus Christ. We've forgotten heaven on the horizon, and so we just have to fight to make heaven on earth. And if you know, each person thinks heaven on earth is different, but they got to fight to make heaven on earth. They're going to just have an angsty culture. But if we remember that heaven is on the horizon, we remember that we are in the hands of the Lord. We can hold it all lightly because this world is not all there is. Heaven is our home. We're in the Lord's hands. He's with us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. There's always hope in the Lord Jesus. So we can endure the trials, confident these trials won't be wasted in our lives. He's going to use them for his glory. We don't know how. We don't like going through the trials, but we know where the finish line is. We know where the finish line is. So work produced by a living faith. Labor motivated by agape love. Endurance inspired by hope. The Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul's portrait of a vibrant church, and this is what we're always striving for at Church of Our Savior. Your giving supports it, your participation grows it, and perpetuates it. So may it ever be so here. To God be the glory.